the last in our series on the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Richard, thank you very much for for reading for us. Good morning. My name is Mark Goodman and I'm occasional preacher at St. Paul's and St. Barnabas, also a trustee of one of our mission partners, Hope from Malawi, and Sarah and I landed back yesterday um, from Malawi, so we are still coming to terms with the 35 degree drop in temperature. <laughs> um, so, yes. <clears throat> Let's just... Um, Let's just pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us to stand in it and receive what you have for us so we can bring glory and honor to your name. Amen. I do want to bring greetings from Livingstones Church in Blantyre. Um, They've been ministering with us in some of the schools we work in and in the, the new, newly opened Hope School Centre. Together we've been running um, some Foundations in Faith courses and also Healthy Hearts course. Healthy Hearts 
is a course that looks at how out of the brokenness we often hold in our hearts, we produce problems and issues and how we can be healed, healed of that. So um, it was just great to spend time with, with young people and with the church, uh, seeing the Lord opening people's eyes and starting to transform some of their behaviours. It was really wonderful. And as Richard has already said, now as, as a church, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Peter. And so here is the final chapter. It's the chapter that covers godly leadership in the church, how leaders can imitate Christ and be examples and how they can lead from the right motives. Peter discusses humility and spiritual position before finishing with that really powerful reminder of the position we have all been given by the God of all grace. But what I want to do is just take a minute to talk briefly a bit about some things from my last month because then you can understand the context of which I have been in while I was preparing this sermon. Yeah, we did have a very fruitful time in Malawi. It was great to have Phoebe Roos with us the whole time, also to introduce Amanda Neal to Malawi. But there were also plenty of challenges, um, some of which were partly expected, some of which were unexpected. It is, um, it's really tough seeing young girls continuing to drop out of school due to pregnancy. And that's possibly because of some of the really awful initiation rituals they still have in Malawian culture. It's partly because of pressure for early, early marriage and lust. And also sometimes it's just girls selling themselves because they need a little bit of money for some food. So that is really horrible. Um, we also saw within the secondary school we support a, a sort of a spirit of demotivation emerging among the teachers. And that was, that was really tough. Now, I mean, this is a very poor area, a very rural area, and the teachers are beset with all sorts of issues. But some of those issues are of their own making. And so you have all these things happening. And then there was devaluation. So overnight, the price of a whole bunch of stuff, including fertilizer, which you need to grow your crops and feed yourself next year, and transport increased by about 50%. I mean, that is a cost of living crisis on steroids. And these people have very little to start with. But we also saw God bringing hope and light into the darkness. It's amazing, over 25% of the secondary school come to the weekly Christian Union meetings. And we felt your prayers holding back some of this opposition. And so that's sort of what's been going through in my head, and that's why I'm going to focus really on verses 5 to 11. So um, do dig it, dig it up in the Bibles. If you need to come to the front and grab one, then please do. I just want us to think about what should our attitude be towards God and each other. Think a bit about well, why do there sometimes seem to be these hidden forces that try and derail us? Why are we repeatedly the cause of our own problems. Why doesn't God just sort everything out and quickly? And if he isn't doing it quickly, does that mean he doesn't love us, doesn't care for us? So let's dive in at verse 5. You who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you 
clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter stresses humility as a key behavior, both for those in leadership, which is the first four verses, but then for everyone else in the church. Now, he's already pushed the importance of humility in in chapters 2, 3, and 4, so why does he do it again? So what is humility? Well, humility is about our relationship with God and with other people. So our relationship with God, well, that's part of having a true recognition of our place compared to God's. Now, he is sovereign and we are not. We are his stewards carrying out his designs and not the other way around, which maybe I get confused about quite a lot of time. But humility is also then about how we treat others as God treats us and God treats others. And what Peter is literally asking us to do is to tie on humility, a bit like an apron or a towel. Maybe he's even thinking when he's writing this of how just before the crucifixion, Jesus tied a towel around his waist and washed the feet of his disciples. The most important and wonderful person stooping as low as possible to wash people's feet. And you see, because it's humility and love that create community and nurture joy in our hearts. And the opposite of humility is pride. And fundamentally, pride is when I say, I know best. I'm what matters. I'm right. I'm important. I'm entitled. And Peter quotes from Proverbs 3.34... God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, the proud know best. So they're doing things their way, but their ways are not God's ways, and God is the real person who knows best. So when we're proud, we just put ourselves in opposition to God because we don't know best, but we think we do. And that's why it says God opposes the proud because of what the proud are doing. And he shows favor to the humble He lifts the humble up, though oftentimes not quite as quickly as we want to be lifted up when we have issues and difficulties and are being oppressed. But how better it is to be lifted up by God's mighty hand than to try and do it for ourselves. To allow pride to, oh, well, can't wait around for God. Time, I did it. Because when I try and lift myself up, nothing really happens, nothing lasts. But when God lifts us up, you have, you have a longevity and a permanence to what's happening. Just talking a little bit about sort of humility and pride. So one of the issues we've been facing in Malawi is the teachers are turning up late to school. They're missing lessons. So they're in the staff room, not in lessons. And you've got all these students who are so eager to learn. 
people in very, very poor places where this education could be what brings them and their families out of the poverty trap. It's really easy to get frustrated, to get cross, to get angry, to want to tell the students, look, can't you see the students work hard? Why won't you? But that just damages relationships. It doesn't really achieve anything. It builds barriers. And anyway, it's not our school. It's a government school. The government pays the teachers, but ultimately the school belongs to God. So if we try and attack these issues in in a sort of quite natural, prideful way, it just goes horribly wrong. When we hand these issues to God and say, look, this is your school, this is your land, these are your people, you care for them far more than we do, when we start praying for the situation, when we start from that position, then that position of humility, things change. Our attitudes change, good teachers. You can actually engage good teachers. You find more about the struggles they have. You find, well, where can we work together to make a difference? And that brings a change of heart. Now, it's still very much a work in progress, but we had an amazing time of, of prayer with the deputy headmaster just before we left. And his, his heart to see God move in the school was just amazing. So do we come to these issues out of pride or out of humility? Peter's saying, there's only one way. We have to be humble. So Peter was very, very aware of the difficulties the church was facing then. And so he knows it can be hard to wait for God's timing to be lifted up. He knows that people are suffering. And that's why he says, you've got to give your worries. You've got to give your anxieties to God. You've got to wait in that place where you're not holding that, but he is. Now, Peter's affirmation is probably drawn from Psalm 55, verse 22. My commentary said, um, cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. If you think about fishing, casting is a very active thing. You have to consciously pick up these anxieties, these worries, and then you have to throw them over to God. It's not something that happens accidentally. You have to want to do it. And it's totally okay to do this because God cares for us, as as the passage reminds us. He loves us. I mean, after all, he gave up his one and only son so that, he, so that we would not perish and we would have eternal life. And because of God's, because Jesus' death on the cross, because he has paid for our sins, he's made the way back to God. So we become right before God. We become righteous. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he's done. And as scripture says, God will never let the righteous fall. Now one, one little reflection, um, those of you who know me well know I like, I like to be certain about what's happening. I like, I think, like things to be ordered, I like things to be in control, preferably by me. Um, so when I feel I have limited control, I can get quite anxious about things. And so how do I, given that's me, how do I cast my anxiety 
on God? How do I do that? Well, what I try and do, sometimes successfully, sometimes very unsuccessfully, through prayer, I try and work out what the thing's bothering me and say, Lord, I'm handing this over to you. Look, I, I know what I want to do, but that's not actually important. I want to trust you that you will manage this situation. Now, that means it may well turn out quite differently to what I think's best, but I'm willing to go with that because you're a better, a better person to manage and, and control things than I am. I try and identify what I'm fearful about because fear is quite a, can be quite a dangerous and destabilizing thing. And I then try and verbally take those things and say, Lord, I don't want to be fearful of that. I'm handing that to you. I want to trust you. I want you to give me peace in this. And I, so I'm just going to have to, to extent, go with what happens because it's outside my control. Now, just Thursday last week, uh, it started raining really heavily, which was brilliant news because in Malawi, November is planting time. And if you don't get rain, then everything dies. So that was really good news, apart from for me, because it was raining very hard, and I had to get a lot of money, which was a whole bunch of people's wages and some Christmas gifts, to a school along a very difficult road. And I got stuck on a very steep, muddy incline. And it was potentially dangerous. A lot of things could have, could have gone wrong. Um, and I was just going, oh, okay. And I felt remarkably calm about it, which was slightly unusual. And then various people just turned up out in the middle of nowhere. This really, really nice guy who was, had a sort of maize sack on as his sort of waterproof just turned up and helped put some bricks under the, on the wheels, put a whole bunch of really large stones in the back of the pickup because the more weight on the back wheels, the easier it is. And we zoomed up there. And when I was reflecting on that, I realized how calm I'd been for the whole process, which was quite unlike me. Um, and I realized that actually I probably had done a reasonably good job in the morning of actually handing the day over to the Lord and, and actually handing him my anxieties. And I then saw that play out in how I was able to remain calm in what could have been a very difficult situation. And if I would not been calm, it would have probably made the matters worse. So this very act of handing our anxieties over to God sometimes changes them, but also definitely changes the way we react to them what happens, which enables us to stay closer to God and doing things his way. Now, I'm not going to, for a moment, say casting your anxieties is easy, and particularly if you've got really major issues, you've got major physical health issues or mental health issues, you've got financial relationship issues, it's not an easy thing to do. But if we hold on to them, if we don't cast them onto the Lord, if we hold on to them, that makes things far worse. Sometimes when we hold on to them, it just means we withdraw from people in the situation. Maybe we, we look for other things which could involve alcohol or YouTube or all sorts of other stuff to just take our minds off the matter. Or we just try and take mass into our own hands and we act out of pride rather than humility. But it doesn't go well. It really is, as Peter says, the only thing we can do and the only thing we must do. And if you're struggling, just as we heard in that amazing testimony earlier, 
You've got to have people around you. You can't do it alone. Who are the people who are coming around you, praying with you in that time of waiting and that time of suffering? You need them. God has made us community for a reason. We need it. Next, Peter goes on to spiritual opposition. Now in Ephesians 6, Paul reminds us that our fight is not against people. It's against powers and spiritual spiritual authorities. So if we read verses 8 and 9, Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Interesting, this is virtually identical to what James says in chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Both of them start with this quote, God opposes the proud and favors the humble, talks about humility, and then go, they then go straight into the need to resist the devil. So humility and submission to God are the key things we need if we want to resist the devil and resist spiritual attack. Because when we're humble, we use God's ways to resist the devil. And they work. And when we're not humble, when we're slipping into pride, we tend to react to any opposition or attack using either the devil's methods or using motives that come from, that speak of anger, desperation, revenge. I mean, it's truly horrible to see how Israel and Hamas seem to be joined in a perpetual cycle of destruction and revenge. Unless something changes, that could go on for as long as the world goes on. It is horrible. Now, I'm I'm a great fan of superhero films. I enjoyed the Marvel Universe and all that sort of stuff. But all superhero films have one humongous flaw. Superheroes combat violence and destruction with violence and destruction. And hopefully they don't kill too many innocents. Those the de- violence and destruction do not come from God. Now, if we think of the real superhero, Jesus Christ, he conquered sin, death, and the devil through humility, through dying on the cross. He did not call down legions of angels to rough everyone up. So that is why both James and Peter say, be humble, and then they say, resist the devil. So how does the devil try and devour us? Well, he has lots of sneaky tricks, cunning plans, including, in this part of the world, the belief that he doesn't even exist. Now, the Malawians certainly do not fall for that lie. They are very aware of demonic oppression. So what does he do? Well, sometimes he just goes for a straightforward attack that tries to destroy what we're building in faith. That can be at a personal level. It can also be at a societal level. There are times when society decides to 
to ban the godly and make the law the ungodly. And certainly for Peter writing to the early churches, there was lots of problems like that. Often he accuses us. The actual word for enemy used in the passage we read earlier has a legal connotation around the person who accuses you in court. The devil loves to accuse, he loves to blame us, tell us we're no good. Tell us, you don't really think God's going to hang out with someone like you, given you did that, that and that. What planet are you on, mate, he says. Well, we need to go back to him with the truth. Because when we confess our sins to God then the ledger is wiped clean. There is nothing for God to see. We are righteous in God's sight. And if we are righteous in God's sight, God is for us. If God is for us, no one has any power to change or challenge that. Another key tactic is is lies, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle. Go back to Genesis 3. And the conversation between Eve and the serpent. And the serpent says, well, I'm sure you misunderstood God. No, he didn't really mean don't eat that. It's fine, don't worry about it. And Eve then has a conversation with Adam. And they both agree, yeah, it's fine. And then it eats and it all goes wrong. Jesus showed the only way and you see this when he's in the wilderness, the only way to resist the devil's lies is to stand on God's truth and to believe God's truth. Otherwise, we just believe lies that are put over us. And we'll come back to that in just a second. But the devil also exploits our own weaknesses, our addictions, our places of pride, of self-importance. He gets us to react really badly to situations. And that just makes them worse. And the relationship spirals out of control. We lose unity. We can't work together. I mean, how often in our families do we actually see exactly the same argument happen again and again and again and again? Why do we do that? We all have choice. I can choose to say something or not say something. I can choose to say what I normally say to Sarah when that happens, or I can choose to do something different. So why do I always do the same thing? I know where it's going to end. (laughs) Why will we not move to a place of humility and mutual submission? You see, our danger as Christians is not that we're helpless against the devil. Far from it. We have the full armour of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. No, our our problem, our danger is that we fail to resist. We fail to flee from the things that we know are bad for us, but we do them anyway. We fail to flee from the things that always precede the things that give us problems. We know what they are, but we still keep doing them. We fail to be somber and watch and pray. We fail to put the full armour of God on. We fail to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then as things get worse and deteriorate, we start to fight back against people, not against the spiritual forces, and we tend to fight back out of pride, envy, revenge, 
And so actually we use the devil's ways of doing things and we bring him glory. That's what actually happens. And that's why Peter was saying, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Resist, because when we watch, when we're humble, when we pray, when we resist, when we put on the full armor of God and use the word of God, then James, Peter, Paul, they all agree. We will resist the devil. We will be firm and resolute. And he will flee. And the glory goes to God. And as verse 10 makes clear, you can do this. I can do this. And we will do this because... We've been handpicked for the task by the God of the cosmos. He's the one who knows all things. He's the one who created everything. And he's called us to spend eternity with him. He's called us to do the things he wants us to do. And that's because he knows we can do it. And yes, things will be tough for a little while. And you can't underestimate that. but it is for a little while. And every time we feel we're failing or feel weak, then we can come to him in humility. We can trust Jesus Christ. We confess our sins. We can cast our worries on him. And then he will restore us. He will make us strong, firm, and steadfast. And that brings us closer to God. It brings us closer together as community, as church. It means we can do what Jesus did. And then maybe the temperature will get a little bit hotter for a little while. But that changes nothing because we were picked for the job by the creator of the universe. And we can go around the cycle again. And he will restore us again. And he will make us strong and firm and steadfast again. Until eventually we reach glory with him. And with each other. And from others across the world and across history. Who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And who have sought to walk humbly with him. I said earlier that one of the devil's tricks is to get us to believe lies and not to believe God's truth. So I'm just going to finish now by just reading some of God's truths taken from different parts of the whole book of 1 Peter. And these are truths about who we are and what we've been given. Us, our families, our church. As I read these, what I want like you to do is just say, do I really believe this? Because this is the truth and I can stand on it or I can go somewhere else. But if I'm going somewhere else and I don't believe this, then I probably won't do what I can do and what I've been called to do. So am I willing to move my beliefs onto God's truth or do I want to believe other stuff? Maybe someone once told you you weren't good enough or you'll never, you will never amount to much. Well, you are good enough. You were chosen by the King of Kings. 
Personally, he chose you, so you are good enough. Maybe you feel shame because of stuff that you did in the past. We've all got lots of stuff in the past we'd rather wasn't written up on the wall for everyone to see. But when we confess our sins, the Lord remembers them no more. He gives us righteousness through faith. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's gone. And these truths apply to all of us when we follow Jesus. And if you're not sure whether you're following Jesus and you like these truths, then please come and talk to me. Please receive prayer. Please follow Jesus. So I'm just going to read these out slowly and then I'll hand over to David. So maybe you want to just close your eyes and just focus on these truths that are about who you are. We are God's elect. We've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. We, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're God's special possession. Once we weren't a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we hadn't received mercy, but now we have. Eyes of the Lord are on those he has declared righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. As we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, he will lift us up in due time. He cares for us. And he deals with all our anxiety when we cast it on him. And the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Christ after we've suffered a little while will himself restore us and make us strong, firm and steadfast. Amen.